a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. The reason is because you don't have the sacraments. See? Yeah. I mean, once you don't have the sacraments, then basically everybody's a pastor. Because that's what a pastor is, a guy that's there to preach the gospel and minister the sacraments. Once the sacraments cease to mean anything in your theological construct, then ministry becomes something different than the giving out of God's gift of forgiveness. The reason why we go to church is not to hear about how we have to go out and, and be missionalists. The reason we go to church is to get the forgiveness of our sins. That's why Jesus instituted the church. And I think that's the point. See, when a pastor considers this option of, hmm, maybe I'll substitute these parts of the liturgy. Maybe. The, maybe. the question before him should not be, will it win more people over? The question before them should be, would this deliver Christ in a better way than it already does? And the parts of the liturgy are direct quotes from Holy Scripture. And I don't think that you can improve upon the delivery of Christ uh, from them. I mean, just imagine the next radical that shall be even more radical. This will be the book that I'm going to write. Even more uh, radical. What part of cutting off your hand is unclear in the Bible? <laughs> if you still have two hands, you show yourself to be a false disciple of Jesus. <laughs> hey, you're listening to Table Talk Radio with Pastor Evan Gigline and Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Welcome to Table Talk Radio. Thank you. So, uh, we do our normal thing here of buzzwords, and I almost forgot how to do this. I was on a pastor's conference last week. Were you doing that too? No. No. Oh. Um, I was. I was just sitting around, you know, either working out or fasting, reading my Bible. One or the other, generally, is what I'm doing if I'm not doing Table Talk, and uh, I, I, and thinking about the blow-by-blow blow from your pastor's conference, because you always come back from those conferences just a little bit edgy. It makes for good radio. <laughs> uh, not this time. It was completely orthodox the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's good. Congratulations. I, I missed some sessions, so that might be why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in any case, why don't you give me your buzzword? Uh, my buzzword for you is Quinlanburg. Quindlinburg. You want to spell that? Q-U-E-D-L-I-N-B-U-R-G. Quindlinburg is apparently one of the original capitals of Germany, and it's this little town that Dad really wants to go to next summer on our trip to Germany. Quindlinburg. Oh, is this a shameless plug? I, <laughs> what I are you talking it, about? I think it is. <laughs> no, what are you... Oh, oh, oh. oh, man, you sniffed me out. The, these buzzwords are brought to you by this paid sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> Plan a trip to Germany. Give me a call if you want to go. Quinlanburg, that's the buzzword. You know it ought to be pretty safe, because if you can go to Israel during wartime and everybody's okay, yeah, man. Germany ought to be a, a breeze. Yeah, that's right. In spite of all of your <laughs> mockery, pre-Israel, you know... We got. I got the invitation to go on this armed Lutheran radio show, though. You know this guy? Have you seen this? I got. There's two things that I would like to say that make me feel safe. Number one, the fact that there is a radio show called the Armed Lutheran Podcast somewhere in the world that makes me feel safer. And also, <laughs> that there is a man whose name is Zach Lesher, who I only know from the Facebook, but he hangs around on the Table Talk Radio page and some of these other pages. And the dude is like the size of about seven dudes. I mean. Like, if you took my muscles and you muscle triplicated them twice, 
I would not be as big as this guy. I mean, he. Lo- I thought oh. his cover photo was a picture of the Incredible Hulk, oh, but great. it is actually the a real life picture of the dude. You discovered I'm on Facebook. <laughs> so, so anyhow, that guy's existence and his Orthodox Lutheran confession, and also the fact of Lutheran armed radio, makes me feel very safe, no matter where <laughs> I am in the world, including Israel and Germany. All right, perfect. <laughs> um, my theological buzzword for you is creatine. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's creed. That's what I meant to say. Creed. Oh yeah, creed. which is the uh, Latin word meaning "I believe." Um, a creed is simply a uh, profession of what uh, someone believes. It could be an individual's or a church's belief, but it is a statement of belief. Um, and this includes all things like we have no creed but the Bible. Creed. That's the creed. You know, a lot of people say that we have no creed but the Bible, but the Bible itself tells us we better be confessing Jesus before the world, and that confession better be orthodox, better be right, and if you're making an orthodox confession, dear friend, that is a creed. Indeed. Okay, so in today's lineup of Table Talk Radio, we are playing Meet My uh Neighbor, the professor cult member, or something like that. What is the name of this? I don't. I don't exactly know. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna read this. Who? I gotta figure this out. This letter from David, dear working preacher. Mm -hmm. In this blog, in the meantime, we should. I should have probably figured out who wrote this thing. About doing a little show prep. This guy is a a professor of an ELCA seminary. Don't don't worry, I'll I'll get the details by the time we need them. <laughs> Faux show. Which might be a and, now, but go ahead. And he writes uh he writes a, a a thing maybe for each week of the church year. This says Lent 3C. That's liturgical code. And then it's titled Suffering the Cross and the Promise of Love. And so we're going to talk about this particular article. And then when we're finished doing that, we're going to play Bible B with the theme, The Substitutionary Atonement. Sweet. I might be able to get some of those. I, I assume that you're giving the verses to me, or am I supposed to get Sure the thing. Oh, great. No, no, don't worry. I'll find it. Don't worry. All right, so so we're going to read some of this thing, and then we're going to talk about it. So I, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll read some, and then you can read some, and you have your favorite why, parts why here. Why don't, you, <laughs> why don't you just read, and I'll interrupt you whenever I want. Okay, you ready? I like that, yeah. Dear working preacher, this passage, and the passage would be uh, Luke 13, 1-9, is rife with promise and peril. The promise is to address one of the persistent questions many people so have. So stop right there. So uh, yeah. Luke 13 is um, the passage of the uh, fig tree, the, the barren fig tree. Is that right? Uh, yes. So, Why so, did people suffer and then, the pig, and then the barren fig tree? Yeah, so unless you repent, you will likewise. Uh, That's right. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. Continue. Uh, uh, why is there so much suffering in the world? Or put more theologically, is suffering connected to our behavior? Does God cause suffering? Is suffering or calamity a form of, I think it should be, of punishment? These are questions usually asked in moments of extreme suffering and loss, and they are as poignant as they are important, and this week we have a chance to address them more reflectively than we can when asked in the emergency room or hosp- a hospice center. That's the promise of this week's reading. Of course, there's peril. The peril is so to imagine that we can answer all those questions. We've heard so many less than helpful and sometimes downright awful explanations of suffering running the gamut from someone trying to explain the death of a child that God needed another angel in the choir to TV preachers saying a particular calamity is God's punishment for sin. I agree. And so that we both understandably those, want to avoid those things. I agree that both of those things are miserable. Yep. 
Uh, yeah, those are both. He's wrong about what he's saying. I just thought I'd chime in on that. Yeah. Now here, uh, uh, I want to go down a little bit, um, a little bit more, and say this: First, suffering is not a form of punishment. If there's anything we can take from Jesus' sharp retort to his audience, do you really think that because of these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than the other Galileans? It's that suffering and calamity are not God's punishment for sin. Just to make sure the crowd listening gets the point, Jesus goes on to offer a second example of folks killed when a tower fell on them, at, fell on them asking once more, do you think that they were worse offenders than the others living in Jerusalem? Again, the, answering is definitely, the answer is definitely no. Okay? So he starts by talking about, is, God, is God's suffering, uh, or is our suffering a punishment for sin? In, and he says, no, there's no connection between suffering and between our sin. Okay, so, so far, I can agree with that. Um, but I think there's a pretty big but on that. So where Jesus says, um, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So, um, I mean, it's almost this um, paradox that exists in law and gospel, so that um, Christ has, has taken the punishment for all of our sins. Um, however, if we, uh, uh, if we, uh, what reject this this gift of faith that the Holy Spirit is giving us, um, and and re- reject this gift all the way into death, we will go to hell. So um, there is a bit of a paradox in this. Yes, that's exactly right. Now that's going to be questioned a little bit later. So I'm going to skip down a few paragraphs to this. Uh, uh, we. Uh, this is true, dear partner, what might we say to people on Sunday? Even more, how might we equip our people to offer words of comfort and grace when those around them are suffering? Well, we might remind them that this whole discussion takes place on the road to Jerusalem as Jesus is making his way steadfastly to the cross. And in light of this passage and the whole of Luke's gospel, we might then recognize that the cross is not about punishment for sin either. Not for Jesus' sin, certainly, but also not for ours. Whoa, whoa! Um, hold on. Um, <laughs> Did you, so I'll re, I would have read it again. Yeah. The cross is not about the punishment for sin. Whoa! And, and this is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> this guy David is going to double down on this. By the way, uh, so wow. Okay, so we should say that the cross is the punishment for sin. <laughs> right. I mean. Look, this this is why Jesus is dying on the cross uh, to be the punishment for our sins. Now, I know that this is the main thing that he's taking issue with, the main thing that he disagrees with, um, and I think the point of this show, especially as we Bible, is to prove that. But um, but we should say that if that's not true, then we st- we still have an answer to make because of our sins. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's see what this guy has to say. That is, of course, a tradition, I think it should say a traditional interpretation of the cross, that because God is just, God has to punish sin, and because God is loving, God beats up on Jesus instead of on us. Do you hear oh, did you hear how he says that? Mm-hmm. Beats up on Jesus. But I have a hunch that this understanding of the cross says more about our inadequate understanding of justice than it says about God. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who has the inadequate understanding of God's justice if you're the one denying substitutionary atonement? <laughs> I mean, I, I think that we can just say, hey, the reason I think this is because that's what the Bible says. Yeah. It's, it's not that I, hmm, 
what analogy could I come up with so that I can under, explain Jesus dying on the cross? Oh, I have an idea. How about there's this idea called sin? I know this, I'm just totally making this up on the spot, but what if there was a such thing called sin? And again, making it up on the spot, what if the wages of sin is death? You know, what do you think? I mean, no one's just making this up. We're, we're, we're learning from the scriptures what the punishment for sin is. So, I mean, mm. is it is is there a verse somewhere in the Bible that says that the punishment for sin is death? <laughs> no, I suppose not. It says wages. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, so, I, <laughs> so, but I it's mean, not like it's a gift, you know. <laughs> hey, thanks. So, I'm glad it's I'm not being punished. <laughs> if if that's true, then uh, Jesus dying on the cross. If it's not because of our sin, someone's still going to have to die. I mean, can you imagine? Um, uh, being in in the in, in ancient Israel, and uh, you're bringing a, a a little lamb to be sacrificed, and the priest explains, "Oh, this lamb is identifying with your suffering." <laughs> what, That's right. It what? has sympathy for you. <laughs> what? What? Why does this lamb have to die just to sympathize with me? <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to read some more. Oh, holy smokes, we're over time. We need to take a break, and then we'll be right back. All right, all right, all right. More from this, uh, from this blog post. Right after this. Don't believe me, just watch. Don't believe me, just watch. Table Talk Radio. We love our on-demand listeners. The Daily Bible Meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. It's going down. I'm yelling to my. You better move. You better dance. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Pastor Wolfman, before the break, you're talking about this uh, blog post where a guy yes. is uh, talking about how... Not just a guy, <laughs> okay, by the way. This ahead. is David Loos, uh, president of the Lutheran Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Oh, fantastic. So you're teaching other people that the suffering of Jesus is not because of sin. In fact, yeah, th- and this Wonderful. is a letter to the preachers. So, in other words, this is telling, this is, wants to make sure that all the people that are preaching God's Word are not telling that Jesus' death is to, you know, to atone for sin. Oh, goodness. Hmm. Now, the way to dismiss this is by saying it's a, you know, the, this is the line that you'll get uh, whenever you want to talk about the substitutionary atonement and say, oh, that's the Anselmic theory. Anybody, anytime you hear a guy talking about I mean, it could be a woman, too, I suppose. Talking about the theories of the atonement, you got to plug your nose and run for it because it's absurd, you know, this ransom theory and the atonement and the, and this, and the Christus Victor and the exemplar. This is just... Look, s- you just we I'm just got to look at the Bible, and we see that, in fact, Jesus is overcoming sin and death and the devil all at the same time through his death. Um... But it's rejected as a traditional interpretation. That's what I, w- I want to read you here. But I, I want, I'm going to start calling it the inspired and errant theory of the atonement. <laughs> there you go. Just call it the Bible. <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh-huh. Uh, I have, oh, oh, 
Uh, oh, yeah, this is how this was rejected. God, because God is just, he has to punish sin. Because he's loving, he has to beat up on Jesus instead of us. Do you see the mockery in the in the blog post? I did notice that. And then it goes on to say this. But I have a hunch, to which we have to say, oh, thanks. Anyone, <laughs> anybody else got any hunches? Lord have mercy. We know what to do with our hunches. I have a hunch that this understanding of the cross says more about our inadequate understanding of justice than it says about God. Uh, the, it's I, In contrast to this theory, I'd suggest that the cross is not about punishment, but is instead about identification, solidarity, and love. And now you would expect, maybe at this point, to have a Bible passage that shows about how the cross yeah, what is, that Bible is about passage? identification and so solidarity and love. But it just someone must have accidentally deleted it ah, from the blog post because it happens a lot. The, the place where it should be just goes on to say, rather than imagine that is that God has to punish someone, and that we're just lucky Jesus was around. What if instead we recognize that God's answer to sin isn't punishment, but instead is love? That is, in Jesus, God loves us enough to take on our lot and our lives fully identifying with us completely. In the cross, then, we see just how far God is willing to go to be with us and for us, even to the point of suffering unjustly and dying the death of a criminal. And in the resurrection, we see that God's solidarity and love is stronger than anything, even death. Well, I mean, he's not that loving because he's still leaving me with all my sins. You're so stuck on the Anselmic theory, you can't even understand Look, how how profound this statement I'm is. I'm so stuck on the fact that the Scriptures teach us that the wages of sin is death. And if that's true, and I know I'm a sinner, I mean, you can't convince me otherwise of that. I know I'm a sinner, and so I deserve death. I mean, that's... what You, you wouldn't be able to have a confession of sin here. I mean, you you would you would confess sin, and then you'd have to say, um, "But Jesus identifies with you, and He yeah, shows right. solidarity with your sin." You know what? You're really going to have to confess not just your sin, but you're going to have to confess being upset about being a sinner. Because <laughs> here you are worried that God is going to punish you for your sin, like He always talks about doing in the Bible. And uh, and then, but you're gonna think, oh no, that means God is t- is mean, uh, and we can't think that about God. We can't think that God is a meanie. So the thing that I'm really feeling bad about is not my sin, but I'm feeling bad about feeling bad about my sin. <laughs> well, you got so, it. So I want to read this sentence again. I think you read this already. Uh, in the cross, then we see just how far God is willing to go to be with us and for us even to the point of suffering unjustly and dying the death of a criminal. Now, I, I need someone to explain to me how, um, how God suffering the death of a, sim, uh, the, of a criminal unjustly does anything to be with me. In fact, I might say that's the opposite. You know, I mean, if, if if there's no such thing of dying for sins in my place, no no idea of substitutionary atonement here, then God dying is a removal of his presence from me. I mean, if he really loved me, he'd get off the cross and still be here with me. Yeah. Why? He's, he's so mean that he left. Yeah. Through death. And the ascension was the cruelest of all. 
I mean, look, look, th- this sounds nice and everything until you're the victim, <laughs> you know? So, so, um, you're, uh, have you ever noticed this? And, it, and it's right. I mean, it makes total sense that when there's a, um, uh, a court case for a murderer, um, who's usually in the courtroom? The victim. Oh yeah. I know what you're getting at. The, uh, the, the, the parents of the person who was murdered. Yeah. And, and why, why on earth? I mean, why would they, why would they want to be there? Well, they want to see if justice is carried out. I mean, imagine that uh, that you're there in the courtroom because uh, someone raped your sister or something like that, and the judge says, um, "You know, I'm a loving God, and I'm not going to comply to your. Uh, I have a hunch that that uh, you expect me to execute justice for a crime, but um, I am a loving judge." And uh, does not, in fact, uh, sentence uh, demand a sentence for crime. Um, the the people who are outraged are the the victim's family, right? The victim is. Um, and the point is that you don't have a just God. You don't have a just judge. Um, the fact of the matter is that God is just, uh, which was what the scriptures present to us. I think this is great, especially in the Psalms. I was reading the C.S. Lewis little book on the Psalms the other day, and he makes. Um, he, he makes this great point, is that in the New Testament, when we read about justice and, and righteousness, it's especially the Lord declaring us to be innocent. But a lot of times, now not every time, but a lot of times in the Psalms, what we're praying for is that the Lord would have justice on our own enemies, mm-hmm. so that that um, those people who have done wrong to us would get what is coming to them from the Lord. And this is a fine point, and the point that you're making is that um, the people who who say that God should should just forgive sins without any blood and without any suffering are the Muslims <laughs> and maybe the Jews, but not the Christians, because the Christian doctrine has always been that there is a um, that there is an a, there's an act of atonement, that there is an act of sacrifice. This is the biblical word propitiation uh, that, that turns away the the wrath of God, and this has been part of the uh, the, the Christian doctrine. From the very beginning, it's not a theory of the atonement. And and by the way, all this you know, saying that this is a theory, uh, you know, one of the theories of atonement. Well, I'd like this uh, David to go back in church history and show me the um, solidarity theory of atonement <laughs> that was pushed out by the Orthodox teachers or something like this. Nobody has ever talked like this. The identification and solidarity of the cross—that that's what's going on in the history of the church. Ever and well until liberal feminism came along, but right. uh, we should probably say too that it's the Christians. Uh, sorry, it, it's the uh, who did you say before? The, the Muslims and the Jews. Um, yep. Those are the ones who don't know they're going to heaven. <laughs> I mean, if you if yeah, you yeah, ta- yeah. if you take yeah, away yeah, atonement, exactly right. you take away assurance of salvation. Right, that's right. And it, now it's just a whim. But I mean, look at—they don't know, but this guy knows because I mean, the even the idea of there being wrath or hell at all is completely um, uh, distant. In, in fact, it's read here in uh, the thing that we need to, re- to rethink uh, about God's anger and God's wrath, that it seems wrong to us to think of God as an angry God. And, um, uh, and that is, um, that, that's, the, that's the rub. See, see if God, uh, if anger is somehow below the dignity of God, then, then the question is, well, what are you going to do with the cross? I mean, what are you going to do with the fact that Jesus suffered and died? 
It's got to apparently mean suffering. It seems pretty important in the Bible. So if you get rid of God's wrath, now you're busy looking around for something to say about the suffering and death of Jesus. Right, and then you come up with some silliness that it's it's uh, showing solidarity. I mean, I mean that that just doesn't make sense. How do you show solidarity by dying? I mean, yeah. you might as well say that it, it shows um, that Jesus was a Broncos fan by dying on the cross. I mean, it, it's so unrelated. Hey, Broncos die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Broncos die. Jesus dies. There you go. <laughs> that's that's right. Broncos ends in S. Jesus ends in S. Like that's more word. of a that's more of an explanation of a connection than Jesus dying is a show of his solidarity. I mean, <laughs> good grief! Uh, so anyway, now I want to go. I want to play another game after uh, thinking about this uh, letter here. Do we have time to start a game? Because the game I want to play is called Name That Theologian. Thirty seconds. Okay, so ready? Yes. Uh, men have objected to the vicarious uh, satisfaction that it is a disparagement of the divine being to predicate him of him anger, wrath, enmity, as if nothing less than Christ's substitutional suffering and death could reconcile him to man. Only Scripture can tell us what conceptions of God are worthy or unworthy of him, and Scripture tells us that according to his righteousness, God is angry with sinful men. Romans 1, Galatians 3, Romans 5, Hebrews 2, Galatians 3, etc. All right, I'm going to mull that over and give a guess on the other side of this break. Don't go away. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio. We love our on-demand listener. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you can find at worldvieweverlasting.com. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We are talking about atonement today, and I'm playing the game Name That Theologian. Um, we had a pretty good quote. Am I supposed to guess? You're going to give me some more. I'm going to give you lots more quotes. This is a, such a great quote, though. It says, the, uh, saying that it's a disparagement of the divine being to predicate of anger, this means... So, so this theologian is talking about those people who would deny the vicarious satisfaction. And those people who say that to say God is angry and wrathful um, is is to insult God, and his response is this, only the Scripture can tell us what conceptions of God are worthy or unworthy of him. In other words, if God, if God will tell us how he is, it's not for us to decide how God should be. And the Bible, by the way, tells us that God is angry about sin. Here's Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What is that? I mean, or this, Galatians 3. <laughs> that's what <laughs> didn't I say Romans 200 points but I mean talk about oh 200 points oh. man you tricked me into playing a game I wasn't even playing I'm like did he say Quinlanburg going 2017 where'd those points come from I gotcha okay here's another Bible verse by the way if I won't tell you what it is cursed is everyone that continues not in all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them Galatians <laughs> oh dang 
Or what about this one? When we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Romans. Oh, sheesh, you're killing it. <laughs> yeah. No, th- this is great, though. So, um, again, we the, the scriptures are, as a, to piggyback off of whoever that quote was that I don't know, um, that, that look, uh, God isn't interested in you um, giving your speculations about who he is. I mean, it's not like um, he, we're all sitting in a circle and saying, all right, what do you think God is? Interesting. What do you think God is? And what do you think? Uh, he tells us who he is. And he is, he's revealed to us that he is a just God, um, which means some, something has to die when you sin. <laughs> That's just the reality. That's right. Something That's has right. to die when you sin. Here's another one. Men have asserted that God can forgive sins by his almighty power and that therefore satisfaction to be rendered by Christ is superfluous. Uh, and he says, why? And then here's the response. To debate on what God might do according to his power is useless and foolish in view of God's express declaration that he forgives sins only because of Christ's various vicarious satisfaction. Romans three twenty four, And then this. Uh, Redemption by payment of a ransom, if we say it's not by payment of a ransom, we brush aside the plain statements of Scripture that name Christ himself, 1 Timothy 2, 6, the life of Christ, Matthew 20, verse 28, and Christ's blood, 1 Peter 1, 18, as the ransom that was paid for us. Ooh. Nice. Here's another. Here's another response to an objection. Here's a further objection. Since the death of Christ manifests God's love, Romans 5, that's what this also this blog post said. It manifests God's love. The death of Christ cannot possibly have taken place for the purpose of appeasing the wrath of God. But, here's the response, according to Scripture, Christ's death reveals both God's love and God's wrath. This truth is brought out in the very passage, Romans 5, verses 8 to 11. Hated by God, we were reconciled to God. Love prompts God to reconcile us to himself by the death of his son, that is, to render satisfaction to his punitive justice. Scripture teaches that God's compassionate will or love does not preclude the settlement with righteousness of God, but includes it. Yeah, this is that kind of idea that uh, uh, love is an emotion. <laughs> so so it, it's like saying, um, um, you know, parents, you ought to love your kids. And so um, parents understand that in two different ways. One parent says, uh, okay, the, the best way that I can uh, love my child is by um, disciplining him so that he uh, grows up to be a responsible young man or whatever. Another parent hears that saying, oh, well, I, I really want to be my kid's friend, and I don't want him to be upset with me in any circumstances whatsoever. So we, we we hear the passage that says God is love, and then we see Jesus dying on the cross, and we're like, what, is, what does that mean? And either it's that um, he is, that we see there the totality of our sin and the wrath of God poured out upon Jesus in our place, or we have to come up with some, you said this earlier, come up with some reason why Jesus is dying and that God is love, um, but those two things don't make sense if if we don't have to deal with sin. That's right. That's right. Here, here's the summary of the whole thing about objections raised against the vicarious satisfaction. Here, I'll give you. This will be the last quote. This is so great. We are now about to discuss the saddest chapter in the whole history of mankind. Think of it. Man is unable to bring about his reconciliation with God, 
And so God himself accomplished it by surrendering his own son and placing him under the obligation and curse of the law. God has thus graciously prepared the way for men to exalt that they are now justified by his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, and are reconciled to God by the death of his son. Yea, through Christ Jesus, by whom they have now received the reconciliation, they are to rejoice in God himself as their gracious God and in the hope of the glory of God. But instead of praising the compassion and love of God, man has criticized and keeps on criticizing the divine method of reconciliation as unnecessary, unworthy of God, self-contradictory, and unjust, as utterly unsuitable to juridical, and etc. We've already touched on the objections. We will now repeat and amplify them. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, so do I need to guess who this is? Yeah, unless you want what you want one more quote. Or? Oh, I want one more. Yep. Okay. To those who deny the juridical character of reconciliation, that means the courtroom talk, and of its appropriation, are thus engaged consciously or unconsciously in the evil work of destroying the entire Christian doctrine as it is revealed in the Holy Scripture. Wow. Just in case we, you know, wanted to put a point on it. Take that, David. You need to go read a little bit of Johann Gerhardt. That's a good guess. But... You need to go read a little Martin Luther. You need to go read a little Martin Kimnitz. I think these all three statements that you've made have been true, but... <laughs> all right, who is he supposed to read? Francis Peeper. Ah, that was my next guess. Martin <laughs> Peeper. Yeah. <laughs> Martin Peeper, Christian Dogmatics, Volume 2. You know, Peeper, uh, Francis Peeper, this is just pure gold. We were doing this at our Theology on Tap the other night, and uh, we got, had a guy in the group who said, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever read in my life about yeah. the cross of Jesus, and yeah. it is true. That's great. Beautiful. So what's on tap? I mean, that's pretty awesome. You just go drink beer and talk theology in the bar or something? Yeah, that's what we do. In Germany, Quinlenburg, summer 2017. <laughs> Subliminal. Yeah, that's that, that's subtle. No one would, would notice that you're trying to plant <laughs> ideas. This is Inception at its best right here. Uh, that's right. <laughs> now, so let's just compare what we just read from Francis Pieper, Johann Martin Francis C.F.W. Pieper, <laughs> To this blog post, and we'll notice one thing is that uh, in Peeper we have the testimony of the Scripture. And in fact, this is his whole argument all through here, which is so great. Those who deny the vicarious satisfaction, that's just fine. You only have one problem, the Bible. (laughs) But if you want to make up doctrine apart from the Bible, then you can really make it be whatever you want it to be. Yes. (laughs) What is that, an earthquake? (laughs) Cool. So we're going to play a little Bible D or what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what we're going to do exactly next. You ready? I'm ready. I've been waiting. I've been, like, getting ready to get some points and everything. Okay. Well, i got to look up this verse here. Uh, the theme for today's Bible B, by the way, is substitutionary atonement. <laughs> <laughs> now, by the, le- the number seven. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, the, uh, that's right. Uh, now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, 
that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Uh, this is familiar to me, but I don't know the answer. Um, okay, so it sounds New Testament-y. Yes. Um, and it sounds... I thought so, too. I, I thought so, too. <laughs> um, sounds uh, Pauline. Pauline? I didn't know there was a lady who wrote the Bible. <laughs> um, read the first part again. I wasn't really okay. paying attention. Okay. It goes like this. Now, all things are of God. That's actually kind of nice. It's actually really nice. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Yeah, I think that this is going to be... Um, uh, shoot, I should know this passage, too. Hey, hey, I'll give you another verse if you want. In the same... Okay. Yeah, yeah. For he made... Because uh, I said three verses. I know that's only two. Oh! For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, that, this confirms my speculation. I was thinking it was um, Pauline, that is to say, written by Paul. And uh, I was thinking was that it's... Paul named his third daughter or something. <laughs> I thought Pauline was the name of, the, of your uh, canary in the, that I hear in the background. No, you don't. Paul, I do, I hear it. It's like an orthodoxy test, you know? I know if it goes dead, then... <laughs> Something's gone really wrong over there. <laughs> well, it would have died by now, believe me. Uh, it obviously can't hear what you're reading from David in the blog post. Um, uh, so I think this is from Romans. Romans it is. Are you sure? Oh, yeah, I'm looking here. It says right at the top of the page, Second Corinthians. <laughs> All right, we need to take a break. More Table Talk Radio right after this. Two theologians for the price of none. Table Talk Radio will be right back. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. My house in Budapest, my, my hidden treasure chest. Golden grand piano, my beauty focus me on you. Ooh, you. Ooh, I leave it all. All right, we're back. Table Talk Radio. I got Second Corinthians correct. <laughs> I didn't remember that. <laughs> it's been a long break. You I'm would, so fr- you I'm probably so would remember. You told me that you <laughs> would give me a thousand points because you're so impressed. <laughs> there you go. I wonder what the. I'm gonna. I'm doing the points today in uh, euros. Germany 2017. <laughs> so a thousand Table Talk Radio points is like 806 today. Hmm. I wonder what the exchange rate is. I haven't checked that lately. Hmm. Anyway, I'll be checking the exchange rate while you think about the next verse. Yes. And it, or unless you want to do a little law gospel on the on the previous. Verse. That is gospel. Beautiful, beautiful gospel. That uh, whatever you said was beautiful gospel. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, it is, in fact, this is the this is our Sadie's Doctrinae. Hey, look at, I, 
$1,000 is 886 euros. I was pretty close. If you just take off the one of those circles in the eight second eight there, I would have the number right. This is now, this is your like uh, um, your new thing. Uh, top three is this is this the top three? Top three? Oh, versus top three versus yeah, yeah, which is a disguised version of Bible B, where nobody's playing games or having fun. You should start quizzing Todd Wilkin to see if he knows what books of the Bible these are from. I'll read it. That would say, be fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, I think hey it would be. be like, hey Todd, pop quiz. Where, what book of the Bible is this from? <laughs> That's right. Oh, we seem to have lost Pastor Wolf. Today. I just read him verses from Esther. Kill him. Kill him. Now, anyway, this verse, Second uh, Corinthians five twenty one, is is the Sadie's doctrinae for the great exchange, the doctrine that Jesus gets our sin and we get His life. He gets our death and we get His forgiveness. You know, everything bad we goes on to Him. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him not even the you see the righteousness that we have by faith through the doctrine of justification through the gift of Jesus and the preaching of the word is not just the righteousness of Adam and Eve before the fall but the righteousness of God himself is what's given to us this is phenomenal that is solidarity <laughs> it's really comforting that Jesus knows what it's like to die okay here's the next verse this is a tricky one well, this is tricky depending on the rules of Bible B. Because this verse appears in two places. Now, the question is that I have for you, I can't remember the rules. So, if you could if you see a Pharisee around there, we can ask him what the rules are for this game. Do you do you have to guess where I'm reading it from or can you guess either one and get it right? I can guess either one and get it right. I just asked the you Pharisee in my in the corner here. Pharisees in your corner for sure. <laughs> Here's the text. <laughs> Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Okay, give it to me one more time. Blessed are those... Oh, here, let me say I'll I'll read it to you in the more familiar way. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. I probably threw you off because I said blessed. Yeah, see, I wish you would read it properly. Okay, um, uh, so so you give me a couple options here. Mm, Indeed. Uh, And I'm going to say that this appears at least somewhere in the uh, Old Testament... (laughs) Um, more yeah. specifically in the book of Psalms. Final answer? Final answer. You're going to stay with that? Yeah, that's safe. You're going to stick with Psalms? Yeah. Because it's so big or what? Yeah. Got you are right. You chances. Psalm yeah, 151 if you're Catholic. <laughs> uh, you're right. This is Psalm 32. Uh, the third, the third of the penitential psalms, second of the penitential psalms. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. It's also spoken. Wait, 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 wait. It's also in. Um, where else does it appear in? You're um, gonna guess twice here. Yeah, I'm gonna guess d- double or nothing. The daily double. Um, hmm. uh, seems like I read this recently somewhere. Where have I been reading? I've been reading some Matthew lately. I've been reading some. Ephesians lately? Hmm. Uh, Ephesians. Down to zero. David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. 
imputing righteousness apart from works. That's how the Bible talks about the death of Jesus, in, uh, especially how it talks about it in Romans chapter 4. Just beautiful stuff here. Hmm. Okay, law gospel? Uh, that's gospel. Um, there's no talk of, of Jesus dying for the sake of solidarity. <laughs> it's, it's talk of, of forgiveness taking place so that, um, that I can uh, admit and confess that I am in fact a sinner, but God does not count his, sorry, count my sin, my iniquity against me. And why does he do that? Or why doesn't he do that? Because of Jesus and his sacrifice took my sin away. So um, that's exactly gospel. Yeah, all right. All right, yeah, now, we got time for the last round here? Yes. I'm going to give you a word. This word occurs four times in the Bible, at least in the ESV. And two of those times are in one book. So you have three book options to Kay. get this correct. Got Ready? it. Mm-hmm. And then what you could do is double or nothing, and then triple or nothing. Ooh, that worked out so well last time. <laughs> oh, I know. I like that idea. Uh, so the word is propitiation. Ooh. Okay. So propitiation um, is this uh, talk of atonement, so that, that sins would be, um, what, covered over? Um, what's that distinction you always make between propitiation and satisfaction or something like that? Or propitiation and expiation. Oh, yeah, so, expiation. So the pro yeah. is the for and the X is from. So ah, it's yeah. like this. If I hit your car window with a golf ball, now I've destroyed the window and also made you mad at me. Now, it, when, I, when I fix the window, that's expiation. I'm taking away the cause of offense. And the result is now you like me again, and that's propitiation. So it's a restoration of, a, of favor through the taking away of of guilt. And this appears... And oh, go ahead, sorry. So forth. Yeah, that's all. Okay. Um, so for some reason, I'm thinking Ephesians again, but it might be because I just said Ephesians and got it wrong before. Um, so I'm going to guess Philippians. <laughs> I, did I say Philippians? I meant Ephesians. <laughs> did I say Quinlanburg? I meant to say... <laughs> Rothenberg, Undem Tauber. Uh, so Ephesians, you're gonna go with Ephesians? Yeah. Oh, dang. All right. What Twenty-five if... books left. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you the Exodus. verse. <laughs> it's a New Testament verse, although the word appears in the Old Testament because the Greek underneath propitiation is this word hilasterion. I know Exodus. That is the. No, I mean that Leviticus. Is, <laughs> that is the that is in the Old Testament mercy seat. That's what is translated as a mercy seat. I'll give you. Uh, let's look at um, what do we want to do here? Uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to read this one. He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Ah, Romans. And then it says this later on in that same book. <laughs> uh, it, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. First John and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Ding, 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 ding! You got it. <laughs> Two hundred points. See, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's sweating over there. Rome, this does come up in Romans. Romans three twenty-five, Hebrews two seventeen, and those two Hebrews. verses that I read are. 
First John 2, 2, and First John 4, 10. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. I mean, you take that word away, you take away the gospel. And if you take away the gospel, you take away comfort from sinners. Yeah, this word also appears in, um, in uh, Philippians and Ephesians, but it was redacted, so I missed out on those points. <laughs> Did you have <laughs> seminary classes with this guy, David? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, All right, man. well. <laughs> uh, law or gospel on this one? Gospel. It's got to be gospel. Uh, look, um, the idea of, of a covering for sins, I mean, you go, to go back to this mercy seat, that um, a, a, a bull would have its throat cut open and blood poured upon this mercy seat, uh, a complete covering of blood, and that is the blood of Christ that covers all of our sins. That is gospel, and it is not about Jesus suffering a, an innocent death for solidarity. That's right. That's really right. I mean, look, at it, 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 uh, th- this is a beautiful picture. Here's the Ten Commandments in the, in the very seat where God is sitting, testifying against you, and now the blood goes and covers it. And instead of seeing the Ten Commandments preaching against you, it, we have the blood that preaches for us. And that is the blood of Jesus, which says better things than that of Abel. In fact, the blood of Jesus says that we are righteous and holy and innocent, uh, that God is not angry, but in fact that he delights in us and he loves us. Ah, good stuff. Well, that's going to be all the time we have, so thank you for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like all the lessons you'll get on higher criticism when we go to Quedlinburg. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.